think we have the best legal system. It's just the people that implement it. They get lost along the way and forget what their job really is. He just kept on trying to remind me that who was in authority, who was in control, and how easy it was for my body to be found in any alley of New York City. It's a tough prison when you have the guards going against you because they are the biggest gang in the prison. They do that. They'll give a guy a life sentence and go home and eat spaghetti like it was nothing. And anybody that would say, well, why would you confess to something that you didn't do? My question to them will be, why wouldn't you confess when somebody's threatening to kill your life? The judge, he said, how you feel? I said, I'm okay. He said, well, today is your lucky day. You're going home. This is Wrongful Conviction. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. Today we have a very special episode. We have two fabulous Pennsylvania ladies. Our very special guest is Crystal Weimer, who is an exoneree from Western Pennsylvania. January 2001, someone killed Curtis Haith outside his Fayette County home. He had been beaten and shot. After being convicted of plotting the murder that spanned three towns in Fayette County, Crystal was behind bars for 12 years. At the time, they said her teeth led them to her. A dental impression was taken of her teeth, and they were compared to a picture of a bite mark on the victim's body, which uh, were found to be a match. 
Actually, that's not true. The scientific expert who testified to all of that in court later said it was junk science, and he was wrong. At today's Post-Conviction Relief Act, Dr. Constantine Carzulas testified that a bite mark found on the victim's hand was Weimer's due to a bite mark analysis that he now considers to be junk science. After Dr. Carzulas testified, and without hearing any further testimony, President Judge John Wagner granted a retrial for Weimer. It was Crystal who started her own path to freedom, acting as her own attorney, filing paperwork. The Pennsylvania Innocence Project and the Jones Day law firm got involved. They found other problems with the police investigation and the prosecution and convinced a judge she is not the killer. Weimer's attorneys believe the real killer has never been caught. Crystal, welcome to the show. Thank you. And with Crystal is her fabulous lawyer, Neelam Sangvi, who is the legal director of the Pennsylvania Innocence Project, and really looking forward to hearing from you and learning from you. It's the first time we've had someone from the Pennsylvania Innocence Project on the show, so welcome. Thanks. We're happy to be here. So, Crystal, your story is insane, even by our very lofty standards of insanity here at Wrongful Conviction. You had the whole potpourri of causes of wrongful conviction. I mean, your case involved false confession by a co-defendant. It involved police and prosecutorial misconduct. It involved bite mark evidence, which we know is, to put it politely, horseshit, right? And there's more. It's a fascinating study, a terrifying study, into just how many things can go wrong. So let's go back to 2001, even before. You grew up in Pennsylvania? Yes. And what was that like? What was your? We always like to spend a few minutes talking about what life was like before this catastrophe happened. It was good. I used to work at a plant in New Stanton, assembling TVs and radios and things to that nature. And uh, I was working three on, three off, two on, two off days, 12-hour shifts. I was a single mother raising my children by myself. What are their names? My oldest is Rose. She was 10. Miranda was 7. And the baby was Bridget, and she was four. The high life of my life was them, raising them and making sure they were off to school. And I went to work and was living life on an everyday basis. Not an easy life by any stretch, right? Working a difficult job, but a, a good job, and still raising three kids. I mean, I have so much respect for single moms everywhere. I see the amount of work that goes into raising children. It's incredible. So the idea that you were able to hold it together you know, while working is, is really uh, my hat's off to you. So how could this have possibly happened? How could you sort of, a, I guess you could call a typical American, right? working, raising children, living sort of a regular type of place, right? How could you become ensnared in this craziest possible situation? I don't even have the answers. I don't know how to even say how it all began or... Let me give some details to the audience, and then, Neil, if you could jump in anytime you want. So this was a case where a guy named Curtis Haith was murdered, outside his apartment building around 4 a.m. on January 27th of 2001. And I guess the only reason that it even any attention was paid to you in the first place was because that night you had been at a party with him, right? With a lot of other people, I guess. Yes. Attending a party with somebody and murdering them or 
very different, legally speaking. <laughs> right. I mean, I think what the police did made sense because when this man died, they wanted to know, okay, who else saw him? What was he doing? So it actually kind of made sense as a starting point for the investigation to talk to everybody he'd been with. But then obviously things took a wrong turn from, from that point on. Right. So Crystal, you and a friend had given him a ride home from the party around 10 o'clock, right? Yeah, it was me and my cousin, Doug, yes. But then you went back to the party. I went back to Union's home, where I was. Right, and he was murdered six hours later or so, at 4 o'clock in the morning, right? Yes. And by that time, I'm assuming you were home asleep with your kids. Right. So how did this start to go wrong? Because it took a long time. I mean, this kid, this was a cold case, right? You know. Right, they investigated for about a year after Mr. Hayes' murder and really didn't have any leads. They questioned Crystal and a lot of other people, but didn't really have any leads. And then about a year into it, they brought in a Pennsylvania state trooper from the cold case squad to try to investigate more because this is a relatively small town and an unsolved homicide is kind of big news. So they brought in the cold case squad and it's at that point that they started looking into the potential bite mark evidence that really became a linchpin of the case against Crystal as things went forward. So the victim had been bitten. Well, supposedly, we don't, based on what we know now, we're not even sure whether it was a human bite mark. There was a oval-shaped bruise on the victim's hand that was not identified as a bite mark during the autopsy. But when this person from the cold case squad came in and was looking at the autopsy photographs, she saw it and said, well, I think this is a bite mark, even though she was not a dentist or an odontologist by training, and then started looking at it from that angle. So the trained mortician or coroner... Right, the forensic pathologist, right, that did the autopsy. ...wasn't able to see a bite mark and clearly was looking for any signs that they could find because it was a murder, right? Right, and we looked into this when we were investigating the case. What do you look for in an autopsy? And if you're a forensic pathologist, bite marks are one of the things, even at that time, that you were supposed to look for and account for and preserve in a certain way if you saw it. And the pathologist did none of those things. Right. So what I'm what I'm trying to wrap myself around here is, and this is just the first of so many, I mean, wacky is a, is a weird way to put it, but so many wacky things about this case. What I'm trying to wrap myself around is the idea that you have a trained pathologist, forensic pathologist, who is examining the body and looking with a fine-tooth comb or microscope, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. for any signs of foul play. But yet does not see or report anything to do with any bite marks. But yet, a state trooper, right, Right. who has no training in this area, right, a lay person, is going to look at a photograph, one-dimensional, a year later and go, I got this. I figured it out. Like some sort of Sherlock Holmes moment and say, oh, that's a bite mark. And we know from having examined and uncovered and had to undo cases around the country related to bite mark evidence. It is probably the junkiest form of science that there is. I mean, there's so many cases that we've seen where they don't know whether it's a human bite mark, it could be an animal, it could be totally something totally else. Right. Could be a bruise. Right. Exactly. So so this was the beginning of what became a real life nightmare for Crystal. So then things start getting really tangled, right? And really complicated because there's a whole cast of characters here that are all out for themselves and are all working at cross-purposes and all working at trying to, well, save their own asses, right? Right. This is where the incentivized witness thing comes into play, right? Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so the incentivized witnesses in this case, it's interesting, actually didn't start even coming forward until Crystal had already been arrested and charged with the murder. So 
After the spite mark story comes out, they're talking to other people, and there's a guy in the county jail named Joey Stenger who offers to give the police some information about Crystal and about this murder, and he's got a bunch of charges. So I think he was hoping for something, but at this point, he wasn't promised anything, so it wasn't really incentivized at that point. But he essentially confesses to committing the murder and implicates Crystal in it with him. So they move forward based on the spite mark evidence, based on this witness, Joey Stenger, and some other things they had cobbled together. And then years after Curtis's death in 2004 and 2005, when Crystal's in the county jail, you get other prisoners coming out of the woodwork saying they've heard Crystal confess to them, which just seems ludicrous given, the you know, in particular, the amount of time that had passed since the murder. And they, as it turns out, we found out much later, were all asking for deals in exchange for implicating Crystal. Again, we're supposed to believe that you, in an effort to purge your soul, are going up to total strangers in the jail and telling each of them your story about how you murdered Curtis Haith one night in January of 2001. Well, the sad part was I didn't even know a lot of the people. I just met them through testimony or paperwork and stuff to that nature. I didn't. I never even met them like on a face-to-face basis, so I didn't even know who most of them were. So what happened here? It sounds to me like is going back 15 years to when all this stuff was taking place. Is that as we see time and again, the police and prosecutor came up with a theory. And then in the absence of any physical evidence, because there wasn't any, they had to figure out a way to convince a jury that you were this cold-blooded killer. Did you have prior violent arrests in your past? No. No, you never murdered anybody else? No. Never, like, uh, <laughs> blow, no. didn't blow up anything? Off the record, no. No, you weren't like a, no. you weren't like a mugger, car thief? No. No, I was kidding. I mean, like I said. Yeah. You, you so, had a fine sense of humor and all this madness. I try to, because otherwise it's just too depressing. So, yeah, they would have had, without having gone to these lengths that they did to fabricate evidence against you, it's very hard to imagine that a jury would have convicted you. Because what would they have said? Here's this woman who is raising three children, working a job, respectable citizen with no prior history of violence, one day just up and murdered this guy at 4 o'clock in the morning, and we have no evidence to show you, but you should take our word for it. That basically would have been the case. A judge, I mean, somebody would have thrown that thing out, or a jury would have said, they would have taken 10 minutes, and they would have said, this is ridiculous, we're going home. Right. And actually, the charges against Crystal were thrown out the very first time they tried to bring them. This is when the additional informants and people start coming in and they charged her again. And it was the second time that the charges stuck. So what you're saying actually did happen, essentially, the first time around. Yes, that's in 2004, right? Right. Which is already more than three years after the crime was committed. Mm -hmm. The case was dismissed against you because Beale recanted his earlier claim that you committed the murder and he refused to testify. He was the very first one that recanted. Joey Stinger was the second one that recanted his statement. So whenever Bill recanted, they released me, but they never released me because of prejudice. They just released me and the judge gave them the option to refile charges against me for the second arrest. So I was begging to go back to prison which is absurd, knowing that they were going to do this again to me just to have a trial so I didn't have to go through all this again the second time. 
And then who's taking care of your children this Well, time? my two oldest daughters were with their grandmother whenever all this took place. She was putting them off to school and making sure they were okay. Well, that year, whenever I got released, I had three different apartments. Like, I was trying to come out and get myself back together, and here they come again. It was just crazy. So I couldn't get myself together and make sure that I was taking care of them, not knowing what they were going to do to me again. So I wanted to make sure they were in a stable environment, which I left them with their grandparents, not knowing if they were going to come re-arrest me again for the second time or what was going to occur. So I wanted them in a safe environment. That's why I left them where they were. But even still, the idea, I mean, what is that like, being locked up for something you didn't do and then not being able to tuck your kids in or read them a story or, you know, I mean, especially as their sort of their only parent and right. as their mom, like, how, how did you deal with that when you're in prison? How did you keep your sanity? Uh, it was extremely hard. I mean, as far as being depressed and crying all the time, emotional, I would go see a therapist and the counselor all the time. And I tried to go to church. It was just so hard on a daily basis. A part of you just gone. Your baby's just gone. And no words can even describe that feeling. Like, that's horrible. That's the worst feeling in the world. Like, the babies that you bore, that you were supposed to be secure and love and nurturing and mom and make sure their needs are met and just quality time, security time, just everything, just being ripped apart and away from. Oh, it was just horrible. Horrible in my heart, my mind, my emotions. I, I don't even know how I cope and dealt with it. I just... I don't know. I just try one day at a time. I just kept praying. I didn't know what else to do, but it pushed me to be persistent, knowing I was innocent and I was wrong, then I was coming home. So it pushed me to, to even more so to fight and take a stand for what I believe in. And I knew in my heart I was going to come home. I just didn't know when or how long. Well, I'm getting the chills thinking about this. So you were rearrested in September of 2004, and you went to trial. Yes. And you were represented by a public defender at the time? Yes. Right. I have a lot of respect for lawyers in general, but we do know that the public defender situation in this country is a crisis, nothing less than a crisis. We have a situation, I think, in every state where they are underpaid, they're overburdened, they're overworked. Some of them are incompetent, but many of them are, are very competent, but they have an impossible task. So if you're in this situation and don't have money to defend yourself, and sometimes if, even if you do, you have really a snowball's chance in hell of getting justice. And you now go to trial. It must have seemed like a circus. <laughs> it was a circus. I was just in awe with all these people coming on and stand and testifying. And I was just like, what? Where did this come from? I'm shaking my head and looking like, wow. And you know, not only were they coming in and saying a bunch of stuff that wasn't true, but they were also changing their lies. There were, there, there were different lies on different days, right, from the same person. The Stinger guy changed his story again and again. I mean, doesn't at some point somebody go, wait a minute, this guy is totally full of shit, right? I mean, right. I forgive my language, but I mean, <laughs> he just kept coming up with new lies. Yeah, by our count, by the time we got through the trial, the post-conviction procedure, and we're looking at a potential new trial, Stenger had given about 15 different accounts of the events, and there were changes every time. So you wonder how the jury could believe this guy, which they really had to do because he was the only evidence that 
claimed to have firsthand knowledge of Crystal being at the scene, which, of course, was not true. But the jury really had to believe him, and they did, which I think just shows you that if, if it's the prosecution putting up the witness, sometimes that's really all you need, and it doesn't matter that much what they say. He admitted that he was coached by the police, right, which is, again, it's a fact. I think most people sit there and go, well, that can't happen. That's not allowed. And he admitted that the police told him what to say. Yeah, when he recanted, he said that they fed him the information, basically. Right. And that's done in ways both subtle and not so subtle, right? You know, the fact is we see in so many of these wrongful convictions, police that feed information either like I said, sort of artfully, right, by, right, in a suggestive, in a roundabout way. In this case, it was much more blatant, right? They just told them what they wanted him to say. But juries, I mean, sometimes they don't hear that. Sometimes they don't know. So it's not videotaped. It should be videotaped. It should always be videotaped. That's one of the things we are working so hard on at, at Innocence Projects around the country, and especially the one in New York, is the mandatory videotaping of interrogation. Strangely enough, New York State doesn't have it. Yeah, in Pennsylvania, we don't have it. A couple of counties have started doing it just within the last year or so. In this case, it's interesting. One of Joey's statements to police was videotaped, but they didn't start the tape until after they'd already been talking to him for a few hours. So by the time he's on the tape, there's a relatively, for lack of a better word, canned story coming from him. So we didn't get to see what went into it, which really you want to see the whole thing, obviously, to see how it unfolded. Okay, so let me get on my soapbox here for a second. So Crystal, one of the reasons that I'm so happy you're here is because you literally represent everybody in America. I mean, I think it's fair to say that if this could happen to you, it could happen to anyone because you just don't fit the profile of of somebody who would get picked up. You know, and I think there are some people who say, well, they must have been involved with something else. And people have these different attitudes about exonerees. We know that half of our exonerees had no prior record before they were wrongfully arrested and convicted. But the fact is that everyone should be concerned and everyone should be angry, as I am now, at the idea that we don't have mandatory videotaping of interrogations. It is preposterous. What could possibly be the reason why we wouldn't want to be able to see what goes on inside that interrogation room and know that the person is actually the right person, right? None of us want murderers walking the streets. But the idea that we forget as a society upon basically arrest and certainly upon incarceration, we forget that you are one of us, right? You're an American, you're a person, you're a human, you're a woman. All that's gone out the window. You're just somebody to be chewed up and spit out by the system once you're in it. And I don't get that. I don't, I don't, I'm not okay with it. And I'm going to continue to do everything I can to fix it. Okay, so I'm going to get off my soapbox now. So anyway... It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. 
Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you were at trial and you're watching this crazy circus unfold in front of you, and you're unfortunately stuck in the middle of it, did you think that this was still going to be okay, that the jury was going to make the right decision, that you were going to go home? I believed in my heart that the truth was going to set me free. I was confident. I felt really good about everything, and I knew that I was innocent. So I felt like I was going to walk out that courtroom and go home where I should have been. But when they came back and after they gave the verdict, it was guilty, guilty, guilty. I was just in awe, like, what? Where did that come from? Can you describe that scene? Because nobody can imagine going through that. Like, the pressure of of being in that situation and the idea that they're coming back in and they're going to decide your fate, literally with a life and death situation. And so how did... It was a murder charge, too, at that. And I'm like, what? What are we talking about? Like, a murder trial? And then you're sitting there and you're waiting for all these people to decide your future, what's going to happen to you, it it just, it's like your heart wants to stop, like your throat and everything, everything's just like, ah, you want to scream and it's just like all bottled inside of you because you don't know what they're going to say. But yet on the same note, on the good side of your head, you're like, oh, well, you're fine. You're getting ready to go home and hey, you're happy. But then there's another side like, What's going to happen? So it's like a mixed emotion thing going on inside of you, just waiting to hear what they say, guilty or not guilty. And imagine that. So, I mean, and I, I think that people, again, have a tendency to be able to distance themselves when they're serving on a jury from that emotion, from that person that is sitting in front of them. 
and they have a tendency to trust the system and want to believe people in positions of authority who are telling them, this woman is a murderer, she's terrible, she's all these things they're saying about you, right? And I always say that people have to take an extra hard look at what's being shown to them when they're on that jury and realize that there's a lot of bad actors in the system. There's a lot of good ones. There's a lot of bad actors in the system and that people like you get caught up in the crosshairs and that, in fact, those roles could be reversed one day. I highly believe that. I believe that them being in the position that they're in, some people have more heartfelt and are educated in that area, but they also need to be mindful as well that it's not always good. The system isn't always for you. And there is people out there that do corruption and do do bad things and harmful things. How about this logic, right? So if you're on a jury, and you're especially in a small town like yours, right? and you actually are witnessing and unfortunately playing an unwitting part in a terrible deception and a wrongful prosecution, not only are you then subject to being victimized by the actual murderer who's still walking the streets, but also those people, those nefarious, corrupt people, police and prosecutors, who are perpetrating this terrible act on you, and in fact on the public, are going to do it again because it's convenient and they get away with it. And that could be you, juror number seven, sitting in the jury box. That could be you or somebody you love Right. that next time could get caught up just because they can't solve a case and they need, they need somebody because they need to get it off their desk and they want to keep moving up the ranks. And we see that. People get promoted even when it's exposed that they were responsible for these wrongful measures. So, so you get found guilty. And the worst moment of your life, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. It was a shock. It was just uh, unbelievable. And then you get taken away in handcuffs. Yeah. And taken to, well, back to, to jail, but then ultimately to prison, right? Yeah. Well, they had to escort, like, my sister out of the courtroom because my dad, he had to walk out and calm her down because she was with me that night. And, of course, your sister can lie for you. But there's a difference whenever you see her with your own eyes with you. So she was so determined to try to help me, to get me to the truth, to get me freed. And when they say guilty, she just, like, it was just a mess in that whole courtroom that day. Right. That's a crazy thing because for her, I can, I'm just trying to put myself in her shoes. And you're sitting there going, not only do I believe that my sister, my, my son, whatever it is, is innocent, she knew you were. Right, you right. I mean, you can't be in two places at once. That's yeah. why she was, like, so determined. She was like, I'm not going to give up fighting for you. I'm going to do everything in my willpower just to get you freed. There's no reason why they should have did this to you. It was just, like, she was mindset. And, of course, like, yeah, your family might tell a little fib or a little story here or there. But whenever you know without a shadow of doubt, with your own personal eyes, and it's a total different story. What can you tell us? about the experience that you had in prison. Was every day the same? Were there any bright spots? Was there somebody that inspired you? Just give us a sense of what that was like. Um, It was really difficult. Like, whenever I first went in, there was only 500 and maybe 580 individuals, women, incarcerated. Towards the end, there was over, like, 1,200 women. So the prison population increased, like, over half As far as um, survival on an everyday basis, I would have a routine. I would try to walk, jog, go to the yard a lot. There was a lot of spiritual churches and services. I would always go to them. 
to try to help me to get through it all. There was people that would visit me through the prison society. They would come and see me. They were like Mennonites that would come and visit me that helped and inspired me as well. There was definitely support as far as church and stuff like that. But um, it's just hard being surrounded by people from all different nationalities, cultures. You just don't know these people. They're just strangers, and you're just thrown in this cell with these different people. But you do grow close to some of the individuals, and you really find out who is loyal and who is really honest and genuine. And every person and individual would find like their sense of group and their fitting in and belonging. That's all I could do just on a daily basis, just try to maintain and journal and keep myself mentally going. Well, it, it's remarkable, and you have all my respect for having persevered through this and actually found a way out, and I want to get to that now. How did the Pennsylvania Innocence Project first hear about the case? Why did you decide to take this particular case, and how did you unravel this web of lies and deceit? So uh, Crystal wrote to us. That's how we get all of our cases. We won't even start to look at a case until a person writes us a letter. So that's how she first got into our process. And Crystal's letters were really compelling, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier with her being a single mom. A refrain in all of her letters was, I'm a single mom of three girls and I just want to get home to them, which doesn't speak to innocence necessarily, but it was really personally compelling. So she went through our review process, which takes years. She was sometimes patient, sometimes not with that. (laughs) But we really vet the cases through a multi-step process. We read every piece of paper we could find, every trial transcript. We talk to prior lawyers. We meet with with the person to really assure ourselves this is an innocence case. And just from, you know, talking, you've seen how complicated Crystal's case was. So it took us a long time to try to even figure out What the heck was the prosecution's theory? What the heck actually may have happened? Who are all these players? There's so many different strands to it that it took a lot of time just to figure out what a coherent narrative of the case might have been. But Crystal really did a lot of the work herself. She lost her first couple of state court appeals, and so she went to federal court on her own to ask for a new trial there after she'd already written to us and we were reviewing the case And the federal judge appointed a lawyer for her from the federal defender's office in western Pennsylvania. And they started investigating the case. They talked to Joey Stenger. He recanted his testimony and said everything he said was a lie. They knew we were looking at the case, and they knew we'd have to go back to state court. So we ended up partnering together with them, and that's when we really started getting actively involved and representing Crystal because we determined by that point that it was an innocence case. She met all of our criteria. So we started working together with the federal lawyers and developed more about what was wrong with Stenger's testimony. We went back with them and then again on our own to interview this dentist that had testified against her, claiming she bit the victim. And he said everything he'd said at trial was complete junk based on advancements in the field since then. So we went through every piece of evidence that they put on and tried to see, was there any validity to it? And it turned out we could debunk every single piece of it. And so we went back into state court based on that to ask for a new trial. And I want to just take a second here to say, you know, you mentioned something very important, which is the length of time it takes for 
the Pennsylvania Innocence Project or any of the Innocence Projects to get to these cases. And that's why it's so important that people who are listening out there donate money. I mean, time is great too, but money is important because very simply, if you donate to the Pennsylvania Innocence Project, what is the website, by the way? Innocenceprojectpa.org. Innocenceprojectpa.org. Because then they can hire more lawyers. More lawyers. More lawyers, Absolutely. more paralegals, more more office space for students, law students to come in and take more cases like Crystal's in a more expeditious manner and get more innocent people out. Because unfortunately, we know from the best social science estimates that over 100,000 people in prison in America are innocent. And that's a lot. And every one of those 100,000 people has a story. Not all as crazy as Crystal's. But they all have a story, and they all have families, and they all have hopes and dreams that are being taken away from them. So yes, donate innocenceprojectpa.org. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. So now things have gone full circle. You went from hitting the jackpot of all the causes of wrongful conviction, not all of them, but so many of the causes of wrongful conviction. You went from that to having this wonderful team of lawyers representing you and to having them not just debunk one theory of the prosecution, but all of them, right? I mean, that's 
that's pretty unusual too. I mean, to be able to to come back into court and go, not only was this piece of evidence wrong, it's all wrong, and we can prove it. And I see you starting to break out in a, in a big, warm smile there, thinking about it because yeah. I mean, how incredible it's is the that? Victory, to, yeah. Right, after I mean, fighting all them years and being persistent and just getting turned down, state superior, state supreme, and just all these different no's and just fighting and just keep going. So you go back to court mm-hmm. feeling very confident, I guess, right? You know, we felt pretty confident, and Crystal, by this point, had the Federal Defender's Office. She had every attorney in my office, which at that point was just three. We're not very big. And also this private team of lawyers from the Jones Day Law Firm. So we felt like we had put together the best case we possibly could. So we felt confident, and we were prepared to put on a three- or four-day hearing with multiple pieces of evidence, witnesses. But in Pennsylvania, we have one of the most restrictive post-conviction laws in the country, Though we had put together, we thought, the strongest case we could, we were nervous because in Pennsylvania, the judge can't even listen to your request for new trial, can't even hear those witnesses if he determines that you didn't file your petition on time. So the DAs always argue, like, well, this is great. You have all this new evidence. You should have found it sooner. You're too late. Doesn't matter what the evidence is. And we were really worried about that aspect, whether we could even get over that initial hurdle and have the judge listen to what we had to say. So we were confident on the one hand, but we also knew the legal landscape that we were facing was incredibly tough. And how do you feel about that, by the way? Neither one of you can answer this. The idea that it's, I guess it's called a sunset clause, right? The idea that the courts can say, well, sorry, but, or not even sorry, but you know what? You may be innocent, but we don't care. Because you didn't get the you didn't get the information to us on time. I mean, it's like the twilight zone, right? I mean, how can that be? Personally, I think sometimes the system just wants to wrap cases up. They don't care if it's right, if it's wrong, if it's indifferent, if it's personal, if it's biased. Not always, but a lot of times when they get in this little hump and they have no other way out, they have no other choice. It's just wrapping that case and that whole outcome and that situation up. How is it that we are able as human beings to say that we no longer care about you as a human being? We don't care. Right. Because we have to feed the system. Right. right? The system has to go on. The machine has to go on. And we've seen it over and over again. I remember Florida years ago tried to pass a sunset clause where they were saying, and some states have this, right, where... Even if you had DNA evidence of your innocence, you had to present it within like a month after your trial. Otherwise, they weren't going to look at it. Now, who the hell is going to have it a month after their trial? But there are states that have that, and Pennsylvania is one of them. Yeah, in Pennsylvania, it's pretty draconian. Once your conviction is final, you have a year to seek a new trial, which is not that long, especially if witnesses, you know, they just testified against you not that long before. Are they really going to be prepared to tell the truth now? After that year... If you file that new trial motion and you lose, you're presumptively barred from ever seeking relief again with a few exceptions. So if you find new evidence of innocence, like in Crystal's case, we had a witness recantation. We had the spite mark expert disavowing his testimony, et cetera. You only have two months. You have 60 days to go back to court. And even if you get in within the 60 days, that doesn't mean the judge is going to find that your petition was filed on time. It means that he's going to look at, okay, well, you got in with 60 days but could you have found that evidence even earlier? 60 days from what? 60 days from basically when you get an inkling that the person might be willing to recant or you have a new expert opinion, whatever new evidence is. So it's a really short period of time, particularly if you don't have a lawyer, 
But it also isn't the end of the game because you get in within 60 days. That's just the start of the process. The judge then has to see whether that literally was the first time you could have brought this evidence or if you could have found it sooner somehow. And the DAs will always say, well, they could have talked to this person a year ago, six months ago, whatever it is. In my job, this is what makes me bang my head against the desk the most. Are you talking about the PCRA? The PCRA. Yeah, okay. And it's what we call a jurisdictional requirement. So if you don't meet these things, the judge, even if he or she wanted to, has no authority to hear the actual evidence. It's so maddening. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So then the day comes. You're back in court. At this point, you'd been through everything. Had you resigned yourself, like, oh, they're just going to screw me again? Or, like, what was your... Because <laughs> before, like, oh, before because you... Because me and Needlem, we have been through so much. Like, my good days, my good times. I had done fired her one time and then <laughs> rehired her the same day. <laughs> but it was just all from anger, frustration, perseverance, just everything bottled up in me. I mean, it wasn't her personally. It was the fact about the system. System, what happened to me and um, what's been done. And here she is trying to assist and help me, but yet I'm firing her and hiring her back in the same day. So, um, yeah, that's been real interesting. I mean, I was just so grateful, though. Here comes my whole team, and I'm soon to get victory. I was happy, but on the same note, I was like, Ah, oh, they're not going to help me. It's going to be the same stuff over crap, I'm saying in my mind over and over, because I wasn't getting to where it seemed like. But then all these doors started opening so fast. It was just like one court date. Here we go. Another court date scheduled. You know, here I'm going back to the county. Here they're coming to see me every day. I'm getting visits and getting out of my room and out of my cell. And I'm all excited because I know it's getting closer. Here comes the big day. So, um... When the big day came and they said, we're releasing her. October 1st, 2015 was the very special day. Very next day, they just opened the doors and just released me right to the street. Here it is freezing outside in the middle of rain. And, you know, we have jackets and different possessions and properties and things like that after being there for, what, 10, 12 years. So you accumulate a lot of belongings and things being in there and... It was just unbelievable. Here I am just being released to the streets. I didn't even get to go back to my home prison to collect what little bit of belongings I had. So I was just released right from the county jail. And, uh, you know, I had to get my stuff shipped to me. So it was just shock. I was just in awe with everything and how they went about doing the results of everything. I mean, totally unbelievable. 12 years, and here you just throw somebody out on the street and don't give them their little bit of belongings and possessions and let them have transportation and have everything in order. They could care less. It didn't matter to them. So it is full circle because you went into the first trial thinking that justice was going to be done and it wasn't. And then you went into the second trial thinking that justice wasn't going to be done and it was. And then all of a sudden, here you are like a baby being born right out back into the world. Like you said, like, what the hell do I do now type of thing, right? right, But but the good news is you're free um, at that point. You're exonerated, formally exonerated. Uh, We didn't get exonerated. I got exonerated. October 1st, 2015 was my hearing. That's whenever I got uh, freed. They put a GPS monitor and was still dangling with me for nine months. So from October to June 27th, 2016, last year, I had a bracelet on. 
that was my fully exoneration day when they were they took that bracelet off and released me from that point. Yeah, so in Pennsylvania, when somebody's innocent, you can't, you know, some states you can ask for like a certificate of innocence and that leads to an exoneration. All we can get is a new trial. So in October of 2015, we were lucky enough to be able to get Crystal the new trial. But all that that meant was that the DA could appeal if they wanted to. They could retry her if they wanted to. Luckily, they didn't appeal, but they did say they were going to proceed to trial. So she was out on bail as if she'd never been convicted and it was back as if she'd been before the first trial, and she was on this electronic monitoring. And the judge set a really aggressive trial schedule. We got a pretrial order saying you're going to trial in December or January. And so we hit the ground running and did pretrial work for Crystal. In the course of that, more information about incentivized witnesses came out that we hadn't been able to get during the post-conviction process. And we filed motions to have all the charges dismissed with prejudice, meaning they could never charge her again. And ultimately, after a bunch of hearings on that, that was finally granted in June of 2016. So it wasn't over with the release. It took another good nine months of lawyering and of Crystal hanging in there, being on this electronic monitor before she could be truly free. And that's one of the things that drives me crazy, too. What people don't understand is that the indictment, the original indictment still stands, even though the conviction has been overturned. Basically, what the court's saying is that your trial was wrong, the result was wrong, but the original indictment still stands and they can still try you. We talked about that moment when you were convicted of something you didn't do and the horror and shock of that with your sister and your dad and the whole mm. terrible scene in the courtroom. What was the moment like when you were exonerated? Oh. That was just so wonderful. Oh, man. Happy tears again. (laughs) I always call them a moment because I always cry, you know, emotional and teary-eyed just thinking of it. It's just like the victory after, like, persevering and fighting and just everything for so long and so hard and, you know, wanting to give up hope and... You know, throw the towel in. You just got to keep going. And then it's just like, all that weight is finally off of you. You're just like, oh, wow. You're in awe. It's like awe moment. I call it an awe moment. (laughs) But um, it's just relief. Just like 10,000 things off of your chest, your heart, your mind. You'll know how to start, where to begin. But you know you're ready and you're doing something somehow, some way. (laughs) So uh, it's just amazing. It's amazing. Like, I'm so grateful and thankful. Just small things that people take maybe for granted on a daily basis. I just, I'm just grateful and thank God just to be out because I could have still been in there. And, you know, they might have tried to put me through trial again and gave me a life sentence and say, oh, death row sentence. Uh, who's to say? You never know. With all this being said, you know, I'm just so happy and grateful that all this is just now it's behind me and I can move forward to my future and what lies ahead. And I'm just grateful to my team and all the ones that did all the work and put up with all my naughtiness and my good days and bad days and moments and times. And, you know, and here I am today and I'm so grateful to meet you and be here and spend this time with you is a blessing. Well, um, I mean, I'm honored. People who listen to the show know I'm rarely at a loss for words, but this is one of those moments. Um, I do know that when we're done talking, I'm going to give you a big hug. So the um, 
And, and, and when you meet Crystal, it's the first thing you think is this. I want to give this person a hug, even if you don't know <laughs> she looks like. <laughs> um, so anyway, but, the, you know, I think you may have already done this. But at the end of each episode, we have a tradition here at Wrongful Conviction where I like to ask if there's any last words you'd like to share. I feel like you may have already just done that. Yes. So in this case, we'll do it differently. And we will turn it over to your distinguished attorney, Neelam, and see if there's anything, is there anything you'd like to leave with the audience or any final thoughts that you have? No, I'm just grateful that you have shows like this to get this in the public eye to help people to be more aware of their surroundings and what occurs out there in the world in our society to make change and make a difference for good and better. Well said, Neelam. I'm just so happy that you invited us here and that it gives Crystal a chance to give voice to her story and also the other women exonerees. You know, there's a lot more men in prison. We've only had two female clients in our office, but I think the challenges are really different and it's a story that's not told as much as it needs to be. So I'm grateful that we had the opportunity to be here and have Crystal give kind of the women's perspective on this problem and a a mom's perspective as well. Well, this has been uh, an extraordinary experience talking to both of you and learning from you. And you are a uh, perfect example of why those of us in this innocence movement are so passionately devoted to doing what we do. Now you're home and with your children and your grandchildren and able to get on with your life, which is great. I want to thank both of you, Crystal and Neelam, for joining us and trekking all the way here from Pennsylvania. Yes, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been a very special episode of Wrongful Conviction. Thank Thank you. you. Don't forget to give us a fantastic review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. And I'm a proud donor to the Innocence Project, and I really hope you'll join me in supporting this very important cause and helping to prevent future wrongful convictions. Go to innocenceproject.org to learn how to donate and get involved. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall and Kevin Wardis. The music in the show is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number One. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.